And now, a Boston original on Boston Sports Original. It's Christian Arcan on WEEI. Hour number two here, Boston Sports Original. It is WEEI Christian Arcan taking you up until 4 o'clock. We'll be joined in about 30 minutes by John Corrales, Boston Sports Journal. I'll open up the phone lines here at 617-779-7937. That's 7937, Jones. Jones been giving out all sorts of numbers this week. Um, none that actually get you in touch with the uh, <laughs> with the station of the program. Uh, but that's how you do it here. 617-779-7937 is the number. You can also text the show, although I wouldn't recommend it, at 37937. just want to read a couple of texts real quick. Um, Arcan, that DICE app is a front for the federal government. Obviously, obviously it is. Don't have to tell me that. It's the man, man. Um, Arcan, it's the same reason Radio Shack uh, needs your phone number when uh, you buy batteries. I, if someone said that to me, too, recently, and it's not the same as that. When you go and buy batteries, you're a paying customer at Radio Shack. I understand why they want your information. What the hell does the dice app, which I didn't pay for, by the way, <laughs> like what do they what do they need to know? I needed a dice and I couldn't find one, and so I downloaded the app. That's all you need to know about me, dice app. <laughs> like, you don't need to know anything else. <laughs> it's just weird. Um, let's see. Uh, don't you think the Lakers would take Kyrie? I think they would. I don't know if Brooklyn would take Russell Westbrook. I don't know if they would. Uh, I don't know if they would do that. I could see them saying, "No, bleep you. We're just going to keep you." If the best we can do is Russell Westbrook and a couple of Lakers draft picks, because they don't even have any first-round picks until, like, 2025 because of the Anthony Davis trade, then, yeah, I, I could see Brooklyn being like, nah, we're good. We're good. We'd rather not uh, bring in what Russell Westbrook. Then again, I guess the question for Brooklyn would be, would you want to lose Kyrie for nothing? Because that's on the table. It's sort of like with the Red Sox and Xander Bogarts. Um the difference is, though, that the Red Sox were bad last year and Brooklyn's still in the playoff mix this year. That's the main uh, difference, I would say. Um, and there's a bunch of odd theories about the balloon, <laughs> what's in it, <laughs> chemical weapon. Okay. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Again, don't, you know, if they wanted to launch a chemical strike. <laughs> Don't they have, like, missiles or something? Like, why would they float a balloon? Uh, <laughs> missiles are too easy. Balloon. you know, like, Balloons are the way to go. Like, yeah, yeah, that's it. It's a chemical. It's a chemical war. They're starting chemical warfare in Montana <laughs> with a balloon. Like, why Why would you? Why would they pick that of all the all the ways to start World War III? A balloon in Montana? Really? I don't know. It just seems a little far-fetched to me. Must have recently watched Up. I can't. Maybe, yeah. It's just, I don't know. The whole thing, I find the whole thing kind of amusing, and I know I'll change my tune if it turns out there's uh, something bad in that balloon. Although this does remind me a lot of that balloon boy thing. Do you remember the balloon boy? Where you, uh, you might be too young for this, but I was bartending down at Quincy Market, and uh, there was this balloon flying over Colorado or something, and uh, people thought there was a little boy in the balloon. Interesting. And there wasn't. There was no boy in the balloon, but... No one knew that, and so all these news cameras picked up this balloon, and they're following the balloon, and we don't know that the kid's in there or not. They don't know where the kid is. The family knew where the kid was. It was all just a scam. But uh, everybody in the whole bar and the whole Ames Plow Tavern were sitting there watching this balloon <laughs> at like 4 in the afternoon, whatever it was. It was during the day. I don't even I think it was the day shift, not the night shift. And we're all sitting there watching this balloon, and the balloon finally lands, and there was nothing in the balloon, and I feel like this is just that again. That's what's happening here. 2009? Yeah, 2009 sounds about right. I don't remember. I mean, I was 
You were just the boy. I think, yeah. I was the boy. <laughs> you were the boy. Yeah, you were the balloon <laughs> boy. That's right. Um, how old are you? 24. Oh, my God. So you were like 10. Yeah, just about. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Alex Cora. That's what I want to talk about here. Alex Cora, who had a really tough truck day yesterday, let me just say. Uh, truck day... Listen, I saw Kennedy out there with his uh, with his winter clothes on and everything, with a big smile on his face. No one could have been really all that happy about Truck Day. It was miserably cold, and a huge uh, thing had just come out, an excerpt from this book from Evan Drellick, who I believe just had a big party in New York last night. Uh, Evan Drellick's book about uh, the Houston Astros, the cheating scandal called Winning Fixes Everything. Um, the Herald put out a uh, piece with some excerpts, and... I'll just read from the Herald article because I have not read the book yet. I didn't get an advanced copy. Mego did. Special Mego did. But uh, Arcan doesn't get anything. Uh, this is what the Herald said. Alex Cora was nearly fired as bench coach for Houston before he became the Red Sox manager, then bragged about cheating to win the 2017 World Series, according to details in the new book, Winning Fixes Everything. Book published by Harper Collins and written by Evan Drellick comes out on Valentine's Day. And I'm sure there's nothing the woman in your life would like more than a book about the Houston Astros cheating scandal this Valentine's Day, fellas. <laughs> that and some uh, some new pajamas. Um, reached on Thursday, Cora declined to comment on the new allegations. He's previously answered questions publicly about his role as the Astros bench coach in 2017 when he was determined to be one of the masterminds of the trash can banging cheating scandal that shook the baseball world and led to a dismissal as the Red Sox manager in 2020. Book offers new te- details about Cora and A.J. Hinch, who butted heads over Cora's perceived responsibilities as the bench coach and what others describe as paranoia that Craig Biggio and Jeff Blum had Hinch's ear. Cora often lashed out at Hinch and screamed at him in his office. Cora also got caught up in a confrontation on the team bus the night of August 31st, 2017, a story that was reported by Drellick uh, at the time. Cora was allegedly drinking too much and had it out with uh, Blum. Jeff Blum? Yeah, Jeff Blum, a TV broadcaster. Blum didn't like that Cora turned the music up while everybody was trying to call their families after Hurricane Harvey. Um, At the time of the reporting, Cora admitted he was wrong, said the fights only strengthened his relationship with Hinch. But new details in the book indicate that Hinch was so frustrated, it almost led to Cora's firing. Uh, He totally disenchanted the coaching staff. One member of the team told Drellick he blew up one day in the coach's office with AJ. He said, you expect me to do all this stuff for 250 grand while all the other coaches were making like 75 grand. He should have been fired long ago. Um, There were some more details in the advanced copy that that we got, that Mego got, and that she let me take a look at. (laughs) I can tell you the details of that fight and that whole situation with... uh, uh, Jeff Blum and uh, A.J. Hinch and everybody else, pretty ugly. I mean, pretty ugly. Cora called Hinch a effing C-bomb in his second rant, lasting about 10 minutes in front of most of the team as players filed off the buses. He sounded very aggressive, a witness said, like if you tried to break it up, you're going to get hit in the face. Said another, holy crap, I'm going to watch our manager deck the bench coach. I was not on the trip where things blew up, but I talked with a lot of people that were an Astros front office member said, and it seemed like a lot of, it seemed like Cora was being a drunk a-hole and AJ had some pent up rage that he let rip. Um, it sounds like Cora was drinking a lot. This also from the book. 
Um, Cora really likes to drink, said someone who traveled with the Astros. Any road trip I was on with him or plane flight I was on with him, he was drinking a lot. Him and Craig Bjornson, CB, were basically wasted on every single flight. So much so that Cora would turn into the equivalent of, like, the scary homeless person that's talking to themselves, doing drunken Tai Chi in place, and you're like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this guy? Cora would get that level of drunk on basically every single trip. I'm not going to stand here or sit here and wag my finger at Alex Cora for drinking too much. It was my birthday recently, and if you heard me the next day, (laughs) you know, I have no uh, basis to be doing that, although it was just my birthday. It wasn't every single day of the summer when I'm taking a flight. Although I can't remember the last flight, I was totally uh, clear-eyed and not uh, somehow <laughs> somehow sedated in some way uh, for the flight. So there's that too, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm not the bench coach of a Major League Baseball team. I wasn't on a work trip. You know, I don't think I've ever been on a work trip. I don't know if I've ever been on a flight that was a work flight before in my life. I don't think I have. But I would imagine that if I did and that I was surrounded by my coworkers, I would maybe, I don't know, not get hammered every single time. Unless he has a problem, and if he does, then I hope he's getting help for it or whatever. But I don't know that he does, and I don't know that this is uh, something that even goes on anymore. So I feel like uh, commenting on this would just be sort of piling on. And I'll be honest with you, getting too drunk on the team plane isn't exactly the crime of the century, is it? It's not great. The other stuff in the uh, in the excerpts about his fight with Hinch, I think, is much worse than him getting drunk and posing on the on the team play. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's just I don't know. Maybe I'm desensitized. Maybe it's something else. I just I have a hard time getting super worked up about that. I do. Do I think it's a good thing they're having your manager pulling a Jim Leahy on the flight? <laughs> Sunnyvale Trailer Park back and forth? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. I don't think that's a good thing. But I'm also sort of of the mind that this was five years ago. He was suspended for the things that he did wrong that were actionable, and there were actionable things that he did wrong. These were not considered actionable. Although, I'll be honest with you. If getting hammered and calling your boss an effing C-bomb multiple times isn't enough to get you fired, then what does it take to get fired in Houston, honestly? And actually, I think we know the answer to that. <laughs> didn't, their, didn't their GM get fired? Some guy in their front office get fired for being a creep? I mean, maybe we do know what it takes to get fired in Houston. But either way, if you can do that, then there must be another reason to keep you. And there was. The reason to keep Alex Cora was that the players... Loved him. Loved him. All the main guys in Houston were big fans of Alex Cora. From Beltron to Bregman to you name it. I mean, they all they all gushed about him. They loved him. And the cynic in me thinks, yeah, they loved him so much because he set up this elaborate cheating apparatus, which was about as in-your-face as any of them has ever been. Like, really, like, you know, the Apple Watch and the cameras in the outfield and, you know, even Bobby Thompson with the guy with the flag across the street. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all that stuff. There's been there's been examples of it. There weren't that many where you could hear them doing it right there on the, on the field mics. And all of a sudden you hear bang, bang, bang right before the pitch comes in and you know that it's going to be a fastball or whatever the hell the thing was. There were very few that were that in-your-face. That one was, I mean, you're begging to get caught with that one. Banging on the trash can. Why, you didn't think anyone was going to notice that? 
Really? And let's be honest here. Who skated on that? Who has a reason to like Alex Cora for that? The players do. Not one player got in trouble for that. It all landed on Cora and Hinch and the rest of the guys in that dugout, which I think is bullcrap, by the way. Not to stand up for Cora here. I mean, I do think he was the mastermind and he deserved to get in trouble for it, as did Hinch, as did everybody else who was a manager or a coach who was involved. But so did the players. So did the players. The fact that the players all skated and all got away with that was such a joke. Really. Carlos Beltran, who was like just as responsible for it as uh, as Cora was. Yeah, I don't think, you know, like he may have gotten in trouble down the line when he tried to become a manager, but at the time, nothing happened to any of those guys. And that's stupid. That's stupid. I mean, they're the ones who benefited from it. They're the ones who all got, you know, who won a World Series and who all had these crazy numbers and, you know, may not have been that good if it wasn't for uh, knowing which pitch was coming. And I understand that all around baseball, there are ways that guys figure out which pitch is coming and they know how to do it and it's a whole thing and I'm not going to, you know, sit here and cry about it. It's been going on since baseball started. You know, it's it really has. It's been going on since the old days. Since the gloves fit on, like fit each individual fingers. You know, those old Babe Ruth gloves look like oven mitts. You know, they were stealing signs back then too. It's what they it's what they always do. But they weren't always banging on trash cans, okay? Like, that was that was in your face. And that's why he got in trouble the way he did. Just for being so blatant about it. And I'll bet you the rest of this stuff, these other things that are coming out now, I don't know if that had anything to do with him getting, you know, fired and suspended with, uh, with the Red Sox. I kind of think it doesn't. I kind of feel like, no, it probably doesn't. They probably knew about all that and said, you know what, so long as you can connect with these players and so long as you can bring a winning culture here, we can, we can tolerate this. But you know what, don't be a jackass on the plane. All right, enough of that. And as far as we know, Cora's kept his nose relatively clean here. 2018, were they cheating? I don't know. Were the Dodgers cheating? Was everyone cheating? Like, you tell me. I don't know. Nothing's been proven there about the 2018 team. Were they cheating? Yeah, sure, they probably were. So was every team they probably played. And so long as they weren't being super in your face about it, banging trash cans or something else that any idiot, you know, could hear right there in the in the ballpark, then I feel like that's all kind of fair game. Sorry, I do. I do. It's baseball, all right? You want to get cheating out of baseball? Good luck. You know, good luck with your quest. The rest of us are just sort of enjoying the sport we've always known that's had this stuff in it since the beginning of time. Uh, 617-779-7937. That's the phone number. Alex Cora was the only one that didn't get booed at winter weekend. Isn't that funny? (laughs) He was the only one that was getting cheered. In the fans like Cora. I don't think this is going to hurt him with the fans. It's not going to hurt him with the players. Um... They may not be a good team this year, but I don't think that's going to be Alex Cora's fault. That's for sure. Is he a good manager? Is he a good employee? I guess we can talk about that. And uh, we'll get into this uh, latest ranking of Red Sox prospects coming from Keith Law and maybe some troubles in paradise between John Henry and Tom Warner. We'll get to all of that. We'll talk with John Corrales in the next segment as well. But first, here's what's trending. I'm on the air, man. I'm on the air. We are right back to it. It's Christian Arcand on WEEI. I'm hoping that vision's a little clearer for you today, knowing that this guy's going to be right at the middle of it, you know, what we're, we're going to do around him. And I don't want to get into names because I don't want to forget anybody, but you know who we have, the players that have joined us through free agency, players we've acquired, whether through trade, Rule 5, and, and players we've grown, uh, that this staff here has grown. And you know who we have, and you know there's more coming. And uh, 
you know, you know it's not always linear, it's not always easy. We've taken a couple haymakers. You know what, we're probably gonna take a couple more. This is baseball. It's not supposed to be easy, but I wanna be clear. We're going to do this. It's gonna be awesome. We are going to get there and just wanna thank That was High and Bloom, not at Winter Weekend. You can tell because there wasn't a bunch of people booing him in the background. That was actually at the Raphael Devers press conference, which I didn't think would end up being, like, the good one for him. <laughs> you know? Like, I didn't think that went great for High and Bloom, but compared to uh, Winter Weekend, it was uh, it was terrific. It's Christian Arcan here on uh, Boston Sports Original, WEEI. Um, real quick, before I get to this thing with Keith Law, it's interesting how Bloom didn't really go after the best international players this time around. That's something, and I know that, you know, Yoshida, but uh, last week, I think they only got in on, or it was a couple weeks ago now, they only got in on one of, like, the top 50. Number 25, they used to sign top 10 guys each year. Padres got the number one. Yankees got a top pick. Rivals all did better. And now you got these, like, scrap heap one- and two-year deals. I don't know. Each team has a limit of dollars on uh, based on a lot of criteria, but, you know, the Red Sox, it's a big problem for them. They used to battle everybody for the top talent in the international thing, and I'm not talking about Japan, but, like, Dominican, Cuba, and, you know, Europe and these other places. They just don't do that anymore. Um, I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to sort of cut corners in other places... Why not go all out there? They used to. I just feel like they're not doing that anymore. And then there's the prospects. Keith Law came out with his uh, rankings of all 30 teams and their farm systems, and he has the Red Sox at 23rd. Now, I like Keith Law, and I think he's good at his job, and he's certainly more tapped in than I am, but uh, it is on the lower end. I have seen some other uh, some other groups like the baseball perspectives, you know, some other ones, and the Red Sox are higher. You know, they're up in like the... The teens, mostly. 23 is about as low as I've seen them. I don't know how you can have them that low with as many top 100 prospects as they have. They have about four or five or, you know, five or six, depending on what list you look at. Law's whole thing is that they don't have any pitching prospects. And I'll tell you, he's not wrong about that. And if that's a big part of your criteria, then, yeah, you're going to have the Red Sox maybe a little bit lower than some of these other teams. That's, I mean, that's understandable. That is understandable. Is it necessarily fair? Well, (laughs) I mean, how important is it to have pitching prospects? Is it more important than position players? Is it less important? What is it? I mean, you want to have a balanced farm system, obviously. And the Dodgers are proof that you can have a good farm system and a good team that spends a lot of money. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I think they were number one. And they still have a ton of great prospects in that team. Dodgers will be good for a while, you know, unless things go horribly off track for them. Or unless they decide to bring in someone who is going to, uh, <laughs> whose whose whole uh, thing is getting under the luxury tax and then you know letting people walk. Beloved fan favorites. Let's take a call real quick before we get to uh, John Corrales, who we'll be talking to in just a few minutes. David is in Florida. Hey, David. Oh, Christian, what's the word of the day? What's happening, David? How you doing? Yeah. You know, first of all. Cora is not free of any blame okay. there. Uh, I mean, he. Uh, I mean, I've always said, and I think as poor as the team has been constructed, poorly as the team has been constructed, 
Corwin is not going to be the best guy to go. And uh, it cannot be Morris. And it just has to be Stevie. David, your phone's really uh, crapping out here. I'm having a hard time understanding what you're saying, so I am going to uh, uh, let you go. Uh, thanks for calling, though. I appreciate it. And I don't think that Cora's free of blame. I don't think I said that. I don't think that uh, what he did and what's being detailed in this book is necessarily the worst thing I've ever heard. I'll tell you what the worst thing in it was to me was that whole thing, that back and forth thing on the bus with the after the after the hurricane when they're all back on the bus and he's playing the music and he's like, Yeah, if this happened in Puerto Rico, you'd be playing music and he was like, What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, no, we're just calling our families, man. Like, you know, we're just trying to figure out which roads are open and which which roads are closed. And listen, I gotta I don't know that there's a good version of that story, and I don't know that Alex Corey could even tell it because it sounds like he was pretty wasted, but, like, it sounds like we're getting, you know, the people who were on the other end of whatever that argument was and their uh, their perspective on it. It also seems like, though, everybody felt the same way. I don't think there were too many people that thought, oh, Alex Corey was right, and these guys were all wrong. And I think that would include players, too. That would include... Uh, because no players came out and had cores back after that. You know what I mean? None of them came out and said anything. I will say this. Drellick reported on this back when it happened, but it got pretty well buried, you know? I mean, that was sort of, that was the end of it. You didn't hear much else after that. And that's sort of why I don't really get too worked up about this. Like, we knew we knew about this. We knew there was an incident on the bus. We didn't know these exact details, but I don't think that that, you know, that's not something that I read and I said, oh, my God, I didn't know it was that bad. No, it's about what I thought. It's about what I was expecting. So I think that when you when you take a, into account everything here and the, and the cheating stuff is probably going to be more, I don't know if it's going to be juicier, I don't know if anything's going to be more salacious than the uh, than this road trip stuff here. But that's what he got in trouble for. Like, that was his, that was the crime he committed. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't any of this other stuff. That was all just kind of, okay, stories from the road. And, you know, maybe he's not the greatest employee in the world. And that's a problem for management. And that's a problem potentially for John Henry and Tom Warner and all those other people. But is that really a problem for... You, the fan, or, you know, the players on the team or anybody else? I don't think so. I don't necessarily think to, think so. And I think that's why he sort of got another life there in uh, in Houston after all the things that he said about A.J. Hinch. But, you know, <laughs> listen, things can, things can certainly change quickly. I think we know about that. I wonder if things may be changing, Red Sox ownership. Because there was a story out there this week that uh, John Henry and Tom Warner maybe having a little bit of a uh, having a little bit of a of a quarrel, some trouble in paradise there. The way I understand it is that uh, Fenway Sports Group is trying to sell Liverpool, and now I just lost the tweet. I had this tweet. Um, and we actually talked about it this week, but I'll be honest with you, I don't remember the specific details here, so I'm going to go and try and find it. But uh, 
there's a Qatar-based government company or some sort of company that wants to buy Liverpool, and Warner wants to do it, and Henry doesn't. That was the report, and it was a report from an account that uh, has got a lot of followers, about like 400,000 followers, something like that. Uh, they paid for their blue check mark, however. Always wary of the of the paid blue check marks. No offense if you have one. I'm just saying, like, you know, I don't. I know that anyone can do it now, so it doesn't really. You know what I mean? Like, if it's a news outlet or a reporter in particular, it's sort of hard to be like, oh yeah, right, of course. If they paid for the blue check mark, then you know why didn't they have one to begin with? If they were a real news outlet, I guess is sort of what I think there. Um, but I don't want to get into the politics of Twitter and the blue check marks and all that other crap because I honestly don't care. Uh, but I did remember thinking like, oh, wow, okay, look at this outlet saying these things. And then realizing, oh, right, yeah, of course. Uh, they paid for it. So maybe that's not going on. Maybe it is. But either way, um, I wonder if that means they're trying to clear up money for another sale. They're not trying to sell the Red Sox from what we can, you know, if they're doing it, they're doing it very privately as opposed to this uh, this other thing. I think if the Red Sox were for sale, we'd all know it. There's no way they'd be able to keep that under wraps this long. I don't think that's happening. But I do think that, uh, you know, the portfolio may be expanding. That's entirely possible. Back to the prospects real quick. Um, I don't know much about these Red Sox prospects. I don't. I mean, there's not much to know. I do think that whether or not you have a bunch of guys all in the top whatever rankings, it's not really that important. Like that, you know, like Mayer is, people think he's going to be good. People think Cassius is going to be good. Um, who's the other kid? Uh, York, you know, Romero, uh, Rafaela, some of these other guys. And, you know, a lot of them, as people have pointed out, are Dombrowski guys, not necessarily High and Bloom guys. But I think that if you have guys who are ready for call-ups who were Dombrowski guys and you're able to fill them in with the Bloom guys, that's maybe more what he's talking about. Uh, you have talent now that you can bring up to the big league level. What I think is tough about that message and why I think Bloom got booed the way he did at Winter Weekend is you can sing the praises of these rookies and young players all you want. You can go on and on about how great this crop of prospects are and how they're all going to be called up and they'll all be contributing at the big league level. And you can really sell that. You can. But it's tough to sell that to a group of fans who just saw Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, and Andrew Benatendi, among others, all grow up through the system together, come up, play, win championships together, and then all either get traded or uh, leave in free agency. And I realize Bogart's 30 years old. It's not like he just, right, you know, it's not like he uh, uh, got out of here, you know, before uh, before his prime. Let's say he played his prime years here for sure. We'll see how he does in San Diego, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's certainly different. All right, we're going to switch some gears here and talk with my good friend John Corrales of Boston Sports Journal who uh, joins the program right now. I wanted to talk some Celtics with him. Uh, John, a brutal one last night. Really a uh, uh, the type of game that, you know, for Jason Tatum in particular, you just would like to forget. Um, 
it seems like this team has a real problem overlooking uh, opponents sometimes, particularly opponents that don't have their best players. They were zoomed in on that uh, on that Brooklyn game. You know, that was circled on the calendar. It seemed like they may have overlooked the Suns last night. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Al Horford was asked a simple, a similar question last night, and he said it's fair to, to, to say that as well. So I think the Celtics kind of came out and said, we proved our point against Brooklyn. So we're going to go back to just kind of trying to beat Phoenix by seeing if we can outshoot them. And, and that's, that's basically what they did. They started out – that game against Phoenix started out, honestly, the exact same way it did against Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That first quarter, a bunch of misses, misses from the other team. But against Brooklyn, the Celtics attacked the rim. They ran off the misses, and they got layups, putbacks, dunks. When Phoenix came out cold and missed their first nine shots, the Celtics just kept missing threes, missing jumpers. After after the uh, the Brooklyn misses, it was twenty seven to four. After the Phoenix misses, it was seven to four. So that's what happens when you try to outshoot the team and you, and you can't start hitting. There's been some talk lately about Jason Tatum and all the minutes that he's playing thirty seven plus minutes per night. You look at the other MVP candidates, some of them anyway. Giannis and Jokic are down on the thirty threes. You got Durant and Luca up there in the in the high thirties as well. Uh, what are your what's your overall take on uh, on Tatum and the amount of minutes that he's uh, been playing this year? Yeah, I'm not a fan of the minutes. Uh, the, the Celtics and Tatum, you know, when you talk to Missoula, when you talk to Brad Stevens, they they all say the same thing. Like, if, if a guy can take his off days and get off his feet and, and have his recovery and prepare for these games, then he can play the few extra minutes, which is fine. I mean, I'll have to trust them. I have to trust the science, but – also, the minutes, no matter what, are are difficult, and it's those minutes, the stops and starts, the jumping, the potential for landing on somebody's foot. It, we know that fatigue leads to injury, and in-game fatigue can be something where maybe you just stepped the wrong way or whatever. It just leaves him a little bit more open to stuff. So I, I'm not a fan of him playing 39, 40-plus minutes a game, uh, but they like I said, they all swear that it's okay. So I mean, I guess we're going to find out because he he wore out in the finals last year, and I, and I would I think the Celtics would really really regret if if that starts to happen again in the playoffs this year. I'd certainly agree with that. John Corrales joining us here in the Harbor One Hotline. Uh, John, do you think there's a a deeper, maybe more cunning ulterior motive to what Kyrie Irving's doing, or is he just being an a hole? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the latter, okay? <laughs> uh, because that's just his mo. Like he he's blown up everywhere he's been, and it, you go back to his high school days where he transferred to a different high school. He can't stay still. He can't stay put anywhere, and he's he's throwing a tantrum now. He wants his money, and he he might be the least self aware person in the NBA because every team out there, when he first made a trade demand over the summer, said, mm, you know what? we're cool. You guys figure it out over there. And then he makes his trade demand again. And most teams are sitting there saying, you know what, we're, we're just not going to give you four years and $200 million. You haven't proven that you can earn that. I think when Brooklyn said, yeah, we'll give you the big extension with triggers. If you play this many games, then yeah, absolutely. We'll pay you the $200 million. No problem. You're just going to be playing 70 games a year or, or whatever the, the, the triggers were. So that's, that's Kyrie in a nutshell. He's just 
not self-aware, and he thinks he deserves more than he's certainly talented enough to earn that money, but he just doesn't see that you you got to play actual games to earn it. How should Brooklyn play this? I think they they shouldn't trade him unless the Lakers offer up two unprotected. They're two unprotected first round picks that they can offer. That I think it's twenty five and twenty seven. If you get those two picks unprotected, then you make that deal, and it, it kind of even doesn't matter what you get back. If you can offload Ben Simmons, like I would look at the Lakers and say, you're taking all of our crap. You're taking Kyrie, you're taking Ben Simmons, you're giving us unprotected picks and salary that we can dump later in a trade because this is probably going to mean we're going to have to move Kevin Durant as well, and we want this rebuild to happen super fast. So take all of our crap, give us the cap space, give us the good picks, because in a couple years the Lakers are going to be absolutely horrible by 25 and 27. That's what they should do. And if they don't get that deal, then – you say, fine, you deal with LeBron and, and his anger for, for kind of punting. Who knows if this is going to be his last great season or not. He's playing out of his mind. But you never know when he's going to break down. So I would think the pressure's on the Lakers to do a deal like that just because of LeBron. And if the, if the Nets can't do that deal, then you say, fine, sit here. You can walk. Bye. Do you consider then, if it if it goes that way, which is sort of what I think too, John, I think that, that Brooklyn already showed that they're not going to be intimidated by their players demanding trades. Uh, and if they said no to Durant, they're going to say no to Kyrie. But do you think that that will take Brooklyn out of the running as a real contender in the East? I mean, I think so because I mean, now Kyrie did say if they don't honor his trade demand, he will play. But that tension's just going to be there. And just knowing how locker rooms work, Having a guy who's demanded two trades in the course of a season next to a guy who's already demanded a trade, that that can't sit well with some of the, the other guys because there are a bunch of guys in that locker room whose livelihoods and how much money they earn depends on playing next to Kyrie and KD so they can show what kind of role players that they are. So if I'm sitting there in that locker room and I'm a role player and, and my livelihood is, is contract to contract, and you guys are messing it up for me, I'd be pissed. And so that would definitely hinder my opportunities, uh, or, or I should say Brooklyn's opportunities, to, to actually live up to what they, they've been hoping for. All right, we'll leave it right there. John Corrales, thanks so much for the time today. Always great to talk with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. All right, that's John Corrales joining us here on the program on the Harbor One Hotline. You can check him out on Twitter at John underscore John with an H underscore Corrales, K-A-R-A-L-I-S. And you can read his stuff over at Boston Sports Journal. And uh, you can listen to his podcast, Locked On Celtics. Uh, 617-779-7937. There is your phone number. I got some big balloon news that I'll share with you next. We're back to Christian Arcan on WEEI. This is breaking news. Breaking news on WEEI is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. Ladies and gentlemen, I have breaking news. It's not sports news. It's news of the world. The balloon is down. I repeat, the balloon is down. Moments ago, over uh, what looks like Myrtle Beach, a U.S. fighter jet, I'm not kidding, <laughs> U.S. fighter jet shot down the uh, Chinese balloon. 
in what must have been, I don't know, the most fun mission ever given to a to a fighter pilot. It's like Top Gun stuff. Go up and shoot a balloon like you know what I mean? That sounds that's it for the <laughs> the fate of the universe may depend on it. You gotta go shoot that balloon. <laughs> anyway, uh if you go check out my Twitter at Christian Arcant, uh there's a video of the moment the balloon was shot down. <laughs> Um, you can't see the plane. You can't see the jet. I'd imagine they didn't have to be particularly close to the balloon to shoot it down. Could have probably done it from pretty far away once you got up to the right altitude. There is now an operation underway to recover the debris off the Carolina coast. Hopefully this wasn't an act of, what did, what did the guy say? <laughs> act of chemical warfare or something. I, I don't know. I'd be... I'd be surprised, I'll tell you. I'd be, I wouldn't see that one coming. I feel like if they wanted to do that, they have other ways of doing it than floating a big stupid balloon over Montana, having it blow all the way over to North Carolina and then hoping someone shoots it down. But we can all rest a little easier for now. Whatever they were collecting on us, they're collecting no more. Because America's best and America's brightest scrambled their F-15s, and they shot that balloon down. Big day. Big day for America. <laughs> the day America stood up and said, you're not going to fly your balloon over our country. I don't, I don't think so, China. You're not going to do it for two straight days anyway. We're going to take a stand. And they did. Balloon is down. And now we just hope that there wasn't a little boy inside. <laughs> Because that would really be a downer now, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would really, that would be a twist that no one saw coming and no one wanted to see coming. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know I'd be breaking like, this is like when, uh, <laughs> this is like, um, who was it that broke the news about John Lennon? <laughs> Uh, it oh, was right, uh, right in the middle of the uh, Patriots Dolphins game, right? Yeah, it was, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, the most famous uh, guy ever, uh, Howard Cosell. <laughs> He's not the most famous guy ever. One of the most famous uh, announcers ever of all time, obviously. I mean, Cosell announcing Lennon, Arcan announcing the balloon. <laughs> basically the same thing. All right? You know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say I'm basically on the same level as Howard Cosell. But in terms of the cultural impact of the news, I would say it's basically neck and neck. Um, and I'm just proud I was able to... Uh, Able to do that today. How many people probably thought that that was like Brady one day contract news? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, if you did, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get your hopes up there. Not to go off topic. <laughs> Brady one day. I hope he doesn't do that. Honestly, I and it's not you know not because I hate the Patriots or anything. I like the Patriots just fine. I just believe in you know. I believe in sort of drawing a line in the sand, and I also don't really like the way Kraft went about that. I don't really like that. I feel like he did the same thing with Gerard Mayo. Put out this big thing, put pressure on whoever it is to do what I want and tell everybody how much I want it and how much it'll mean to me and how we're working on this contract for you and how, oh, yeah, we'll do everything we can to honor you every single day for the rest of our life, blah, 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 all this stuff. And it's like, you know, Robert, (laughs) you could have stepped in with Gerard Mayo a long time ago and said, hey, how about making him the defensive coordinator so he doesn't leave? How about, you know, giving him a real assignment instead of linebacker's coach if we love him so much? Hey, how about uh, we keep Tom Brady here? How about we keep Tom Brady and give him a real contract with real money? 
It's not gonna. It's not gonna be that much. The last one after 2017, kind of insulting with the 15 million and the incentives. You know, we remember that one. Not a great one. Not a great one. You could have stepped in there. Now all of a sudden, you're doing a little press tour. Tell everybody how much you love Tom Brady and how much you want him to sign a one-day contract. So what? So you'll feel better about the way it all ended? No. No, no, no. Sorry. Life doesn't work like that. Maybe it does for billionaires. It probably does, actually, for billionaires. If you're a billionaire, life does work like that for you most of the time. But that doesn't mean that Tom Brady has to participate. Tom Brady's doing just fine for himself. Tom Brady proved his point. And now what? You want to make you want to rewrite history here, make it seem like everything was all good and we were all great, and this was some nice, you know, like it wasn't a bad ending, and that I don't have bad feelings towards the organization and maybe even towards you a little bit for not uh, for not stepping in when you, when you could have. Of course, of course, I uh, understand that, and I understand why. You know, there's no real incentive for Tom Brady to do this other than the fact that it would be the high road, I guess. The high road, sure. If you really care about the high road, then I guess you just got to do what everyone asks you all the time, right? Like, no, that's not the high. It doesn't mean you're on the high road. It just means you're a pushover. Is Tom Brady a pushover? Don't be a pushover. Say, no, I'm not going to sign a one-day contract. You want to induct me into the Patriots Hall of Fame? I'll show up for that. I'll wear the red jacket. I'll, you know, I'll party with all my buddies, and we'll have a nice little weekend. <laughs> we'll go to the Red Wing Diner, and I'll get fried clams. I don't know. Like, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have a good time. But I'm not signing a contract. I'm not going to go through all this just so you can feel better about the way that things ended. I don't feel good about the way that things ended. And this doesn't really give me any closure. All the closure is coming to you. This doesn't do anything for me. All I'm really doing here is you a favor, and that favor is making you feel better about something you screwed up. And you know what? I've got better things to do. That's not my job. It's not my job to make you feel better. It was your job to keep me here. And you decided that wasn't in your best interest. And you let me go. And you kept him. So, no. (laughs) No. You had your chance. You had your chance to let me retire as a Patriot. I was willing to do it. I was willing to do it and ready to do it. And you had every opportunity to make that happen, and you chose not to. So, you know what? Bleep you. Not that he'd say that, but, you know. That, that maybe be me editorializing a little bit if it was me under circumstances. Tom Brady would take that high road at the very least. Um, and I know that him and Kraft, he's at Kraft's wedding. I mean, it's obviously, they're not, it's not like they hate each other. But I can understand just from a pure uh, standpoint of what this would look like and how this feels for me. You know, I know this would make you feel better, Robert, but you know what? It doesn't really do much for me. So I'm going to politely decline. That's sort of, it's just what I think. And I don't know anything else. I don't know anything about what's going on uh, inside their minds or any conversations that they may have had. I'm going off of my own sort of instincts and also a little bit by what Tommy Curran had to say. He doesn't think it's going to happen either. Uh, 617-779-7937. There's your phone number. Tom Brady retired. Again. How'd that, how'd that feel for you this week? The second time around. We'll get to all that next.